I invite you all to turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus. Exodus chapter 35 is sort of where we'll start off today. Uh, we are, wow, all the way coming in, landing this airplane. Uh, maybe some of you saying, finally, finally, let's get those wheels on the ground for this series through the book of Exodus that we've been doing for at least 20 weeks, maybe a little more than that, since back in January. And, you know, the, the beauty of doing something like that is that hopefully we're getting some hooks, some places to attach some things in our mind that maybe we knew a little bit about, but we all of a sudden see and understand where they are in God's Word. There's a, a narrative, a story we've been following. Uh, I want to highlight, and you can jot these down for you, maybe on the back of that yellow sheet or something, if you want to jot these down. Uh, uh, it seems like as we're coming in to finish a, a 20-some week series, we should probably uh, encapsulate some of those themes. So let me do that for a minute, and then we'll jump into our passage for this morning. Uh, a couple of themes we saw. One is just our desperate condition in the book of Exodus, you remember it begins, it began, as we looked at it, with the people of Israel in Egypt enslaved. And the parallel picture for us we saw is that we too, outside of the work of Christ, outside of His mercy, find ourselves enslaved to sin. By that we just mean we're enslaved to a life, live for things other than the Lord and under, other than His purposes. So we saw that and we saw that in the midst of that desperate condition for God's people, so that might be a, a, a first major theme, God's des- the desperation of God's people. Uh, uh, we also saw that God brought in a, a means of rescue, a way to rescue God's people. And that was in the form of Moses, of course, a key figure in this book of Exodus, Exodus that God sent in as a mediator to bring his people out to lead God's people. We saw those themes, and we saw some interesting themes even there in this idea of a mediator for God's people, that Moses wasn't exactly a a perfectly untarnished instrument for God's purposes. He was a pretty fearful guy, uh, wasn't even willing to go to the people without some help, and stumbled a few ways along the, the path as well. And so we're reminded by that of this thing as well, that God can use and really delights to use People, even in their places of weakness, people like you and people like me, realizing that Moses, of course, is just a foreshadowing. He's just a pointing forward to one who comes perfectly for us, to Jesus Christ, our perfect mediator. So we saw that theme playing out across the book of Exodus. We also saw, of course, you can't, if you've ever watched any of the old Charlton Heston movies, you can't watch uh, any of those without seeing some display, uh, at least Hollywood style, of God's power being revealed all across the place in Exodus. We saw, first of all, God's people being protected when Pharaoh was trying to kill the firstborn, and God watched over them. We saw this little, going back to this mediator, Moses, we saw this little tiny baby in just a little raft made out of some straw and reeds floating down a river, and he was going to be rescued to be used to rescue God's people. So we saw God's power in that way. We saw him displaying his power in the burning bush, coming and appearing to Moses. We saw him displaying uh, power, of course, in the ten plagues that he used to communicate to Pharaoh that he needed to let his people go, and then those culminating in the death of the firstborn of Egypt and the Passover we saw his power as well in the Red Sea being 
parted first to allow God's people to go through and then coming back together on top of the armies of Pharaoh. We saw God's power at every turn, God's power displayed in the Ten Commandments coming and His law coming. So we saw power. So God's the desperate condition of God's people, the mediator, divine power. And the last thing we have seen and will continue to carry on through today is the response of God's people. All these things are meant to move God's people to respond. Not just back in Old Testament times, but us today. And we saw that the people were called to respond just by following. God led them out, just as God leads us along a pathway. We saw that God led them to praise. Exodus 15, they praised. We saw that God led them to even be organized as a group of people in Exodus 18. They were supposed to kind of get organized in the way that they functioned together. And, of course, they were called, just as we are, to follow God, to respond to God by following His commandments, His good directives, His good teachings, His good rules for our lives. God gave them to His people, and we're called to worship Him, to respond and worship as well. Which brings us to where we are today. That was Global Picture Exodus. We're also going to try, so that was one monumental task, to make sure we reviewed that for today and hopefully grab some of those hooks. What I want us to do now is to take a few select passages from Exodus. We're also going to look at a few from Hebrews. And what we're going to try to do is encapsulate the picture of worship and the main themes that God wants to convey about worship that really is displayed in Exodus 25 through chapter 31 and through Exodus 35 through 40. So we're going to try to wrap all that up in a package if we can today. We'll see how we do. I invite you to turn with me then to Exodus 35. I'll read a couple verses from that chapter, summarize a few things, then we'll jump to Exodus chapter 40 and read a series of verses. So Exodus 35, you can look there with me, starting in verse 1. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days your work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Verse 4, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. And then it goes on to describe a variety of things that the people could bring. And then verse 10, let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. All right? Now, if you feel like this is going to be a little tedious today, I just want you to know I'm sparing you. We're going to do an overview of just the next four chapters. So we're not going to go through all the intricacies of the tabernacle, even though they're important. But he talks in the next uh, chapter of chapter 35 and 36 about the construction of this tabernacle. Chapter 37, if you turn over there, is the making of the ark. If you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, you've at least seen some idea from Hollywood of this, this box that was a holy box for the Lord and represented His holiness. We see the assembly of the tent and the lampstands and so forth all the way into Exodus 39 where there are even certain garments that are made for the priests for the leaders of God's people, which brings us into chapter 40. And what we're going to see in chapter 40 as I read these verses is a fulfillment. 
in chapters 25 and 30 through 31 of Exodus, Moses was told what he's supposed to build and how he's supposed to build it. And in these chapters we just blazed through, he was, we are told that he built it. And it comes into verse 16 of Exodus chapter 40. And there is a refrain here. And part of the reason I'm going to read this is because I want us to hear this refrain over and over again. Exodus chapter 40, starting in verse 16. This Moses did, according to all that the Lord commanded him. So he did. In the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases, set up its frames, put in its poles, and raised up its pillars. He spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark, and he put the poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark of the testimony, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the table of the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle, outside of the veil, and arranged the bread on it before the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord commanded. You see where we're headed with this. Jump with me down to verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in it by night, and the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we pray that you would come now and be with us as we contemplate uh, this one of the grandest of things, the opportunity, the privilege, the calling of worshiping you. And, Father, we ask that you would show us this thing that we do, many of us each week, that seems important to you that we sometimes struggle to understand the value and importance of. Father, we pray that you would teach us and instruct us from your word about it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Canada National Tower is one of the most prominent buildings in all of the country of Canada, It stood for a number of years, a quarter century or so, as the tallest structure in the world, only recently to be surpassed 167 stories high, or 1,800 feet if you prefer to go at it that way. An amazing structure that's designed to give views, beautiful views from its peak of all that's surrounding it. Designed as well, unbelievably, to have a restaurant that you can dine at while you're rotating slowly around the center of the building at about a thousand feet above the ground, if that's something you would enjoy. And then also designed to handle communications equipment to send out information all over 
the surrounding area. As one who's a former engineering undergrad, I find the architecture, the building of such structures amazing. They don't just, you know, pick up the latest guy who's had a couple of architecture courses probably and throw him into this kind of project. It's got to be somebody who knows how to take a structure like this to build it. It has to be able to stand, of course, first and foremost, and then it's supposed to be incredibly tall. It's supposed to have this rotating restaurant, and it's supposed to send out this information to the world beyond. So we think about such a monumental building as this and its designer, what's required of that and what function it serves. I think we're drawn back to the themes of these verses today and the themes of our worship. And that is that God is not just the architect, of, as we see in these chapters that we went through pretty quickly. He's not just the architect of some type of earthly worship in this simple tent and with this ark box built and these lampstands and screens and so forth, but he's ultimately the architect, the designer of our worship today. That as we come here, that we, God has the design and purpose to us, for us to worship him. A couple of passages from Hebrews will help us to see this. All of this material in the book of Exodus is it's tedious. It's tough to understand its function and purpose. But we'll be helped greatly if we can see two main themes. One is that when we see the materials in Exodus, we're actually seeing a glimpse of heavenly worship. And isn't that what we want? If we desire to meet the Lord and to know the Lord, we desire to experience heavenly worship at some level. Or maybe we're here today and we don't desire that, and we need to be reminded that's what we're supposed to be seeking. So we're going to see that heavenly worship is conveyed through these earthly vehicles, and that comes right up into our service today here. We're also going to see that Jesus Christ is the center point, is the theme, even of these verses back in Exodus. Flip with me over to Hebrews. These will be a little bit briefer, these passages. Hebrews is all the way at the, towards the back of your Bible. It's before Revelation. But it's after uh, Romans and 1 Corinthians and so forth. We want to look at Hebrews, just a couple selected passages. Hebrews chapter 8 begins this way. I like it when a Bible writer starts a sentence this way, because the Bible can be confusing at some points. And he says this. He says, now the point of what we are saying is this. So he's telling us, okay, I'm going to shuck it down for you. Here's the point. We have such a high priest, he's talking about Jesus, and reflecting back on this Old Testament worship, one who's seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Jump down to verse 4. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests to offer gifts according to the law. Verse 5. They serve a copy. In shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. What we see back in Exodus, as convoluted and complicated as it might be to us, was some picture, meant to be some reflection of a heavenly worship, just as what we are doing here today 
I hope we can start to get some vision for it. I struggle to have it. I imagine you do. That what we're doing here today in this cafetorium, what other churches that are seeking the Lord around our community right now and across the world are doing, is pursuing a taste, a, a picture of this heavenly worship being poured out right here. Chapter 9 of Hebrews gives us a little bit more info. Looking in verse 11 and 12. It says, But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, they, the Old Testament people looked forward to Christ. We look back on Him. So the he, writer of Hebrews is helping us look back through this lens of Christ. Then through the greater and more perfect tent, again, not made with hands, that is, of this creation, He entered once and for all into the holy places to secure for us an eternal redemption. Verse 24, 23 and 24 of that same chapter. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into a holy place made with hands, which are copy of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And summon all of this up, one more passage from Hebrews over in chapter 10, verse 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, what a privilege that we can come today and worship the living God. That we can come before Him and be open before Him and acknowledge our brokenness and our need for His mercy. We can do that because Christ has gone before us. Verse 20, By a new and living way which He opened for us through the curtain, that is through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean and an evil, from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. All right. That's a lot. Let's see how we can package this up a bit for us to digest. First thing, if you want to jot down on your bulletin, I was working on that main idea still, and so it's not down on your sheet, but if you want to jot down on your sheet, something to kind of encapsulate all of this, and it's a little bit cumbersome as well, is simply this. God designed worship and us. God designed worship and us. And so through Christ... We should worship Him as He directs us to. He's the one that designed worship and He designed us. And so through Christ, as we see in Hebrews, we don't come in and of ourselves, but through Christ, we should worship Him as He prescribes. And I'd add one more thing. That's for our good and for God's glory. We seek God's glory first, and then His goodness is poured out in our lives. Let's take a few minutes to talk about what this means. As we think about the structure and what it means for us to worship, so we want to focus in on that. What does it look like today for Cross Creek Church to worship God authentically, to seek Him in the way that He's designed for us to? We see what it looks like in Exodus. We see its fulfillment in Jesus. What does it look like for us today? Well, it, it really doesn't have to do with a lot of the details. There's a lot of freedom in worship. 
You know, to build a building, you've got to have really a couple of things. You need to have a floor, but it doesn't necessarily matter whether it's tile on the floor or whatever this stuff is or carpet or hardwood, but you've got to have a floor. So you've got a floor and you have options of the way you want to do it. You can have a wall and you can build it out of different materials. The point is you've got to have a wall and you can paint it different colors or put little things like this on there. But you, you need a wall is the main thing, but you've got lots of freedom to how to put it together. You need a ceiling, a roof, and you can put different kinds of shingles on top of the roof, but the point is you've you got to have a roof. There's key things that we've got to have, but then incredible freedom, too. How does this relate to our worship today? Well, the Lord does not tell us how long our worship service is supposed to be or when we're supposed to do the offering exactly in the service or how many prayers and what type of prayers to do or even though we have maybe strong convictions about what kind of music helps us relate to God, God doesn't tell us what type of instruments or music we're necessarily supposed to use. What he tells us is you've got to have a floor, you've got to have some walls, and you have to have a ceiling. Okay? We're going to talk about what those things are in a minute when we talk about the building blocks of worship. I wanted to get that out of the way in the beginning. Let's look back at Exodus. Jump back there with me. Because before we look at the building blocks of worship, we've got to look at the construction crew if you will. If we're called to participate in this vision of building godly worship, if that's what we're trying to do as a church, then how do we do it? Well, it's interesting. We've got to be involved. We've got to be engaged. Chapter 35, we read it a few minutes ago, starting in verse 1, it tells the people that they need to set aside time for it. Now, it's preaching to the choir because you're all here at church on Sunday morning. Well, let me just say that that's a good thing. It's a good thing to set aside time for worship. Goes on and tells us in verse 4 of Exodus 35 that he, you remember I read, he told the congregation, the people, to bring different contributions. Remember a couple of weeks ago we were looking at Exodus 32 and the people made this false worship around this golden calf. You remember where they got the stuff for it? The gold? It was that gold that they'd been given by the Egyptians when they left Egypt that God told them to use for worship. But they'd made an idol, and so when we make idols, we not only give our time to it, we give our contributions to it, we give our energy to it. And here he's saying, no, set aside time for worship of God. Use your resources to support the worship of God. And then verse 10 we read earlier as well in Exodus 35, let every skillful craftsman among you Come and make all that the Lord has commanded. Who's going to put all this tent of meeting together? Who's going to arrange the worship? Well, it's kind of like, a little bit, if we can say, like our Cross Creek Church world. We come and people are putting these pews up and music people are using their talents here. And we got somebody running the soundboard and folks helping to organize a nursery so the kids can be, t- you know, it's, it's the people using their gifts to help this worship come about. So we're involved we're engaged in the worship. And I love what Tim Keller says. I've got a bunch of sheets on your, or quotes on your bulletin sheet. You can read them on your own. I don't know that I put this one down here because it's so short. But I like what Tim Keller says about what we're doing, contributing, participating in worship. He said, worship is seeing the worth of God and giving God what he's worth. I like that. That's pretty succinct. Worship is seeing the worth of God and giving Him 
what he's worth. Okay, so it's one of the main things I think the Lord wants us to see back in Exodus, all the way through the Scriptures, up into the New Testament church, is this idea that there is a place for us to engage with worship, to participate with them. He wants us to experience that. The final thing I want us to see, coming back to what we talked about a little bit before, and let me say I'm, I'm focusing here today intentionally on worshiping as a congregation. Now, we all know, hopefully, if we know anything about seeking to follow the Lord, that we worship the Lord in our work and in our parenting and in our leisure time. We're called to worship Him in all of life. And we worship Him individually as well as worshiping Him corporately. Today we're focusing on this gathering, this time together of worshiping God. And as we think about that time, what are the building blocks of this worship? What things need to be included? In the Old Testament, he laid out all of these things. The tent had to be made and the lampstands, and they all represented something. What are the things that we need to have in our worship? What needs to be included? Do we just kind of make it up however we want to and approach God in whatever way we want to? That sounds about as dangerous as the people making that golden calf, right? It's interesting that it goes from telling us in Exodus about a golden calf and this sort of obvious idolatry to then telling the people, here's how you should worship. That's why I spent a little time going through chapter 40 and what was the refrain? What did it say over and over again? Moses did as God commanded him. I wasn't just going to throw this thing together. I think I'll kind of come up with whatever I think is a good way to approach God. And there's some things biblically that we want to include in our worship as well. You can jot these down if you want to find a blank space. They're actually even, or just even look at your bulletin. If you want to look at the main part of your bulletin that we've been going through today, we try to include these elements in our worship. What are the building blocks that we need to have regularly when we come to worship? How has God directed us? One, you see, we have a call to worship every week. You say, well, that's you know, a nice way to get things cranked up. Good to get somebody up there and get things cranked up. And you've got to say something after the announcements, right? So let's get the call to worship in there. No. call to worship is reminding us that adoration, if you want to put the first thing down, adoration, adoring God is what we're here for. That's what we're called to do. So we call ourselves, really it's Harrison or me or somebody else up here calling all of us to say, let's come worship the God who is worthy. Let's adore Him. So adoration. We put a section in there as well called confession. Why do we put that in there? Is it just you know, it, it makes people feel uncomfortable. And I, we, no one likes to have to have that time. And new people visiting is kind of confrontational to say, welcome to our church. Come on in, let's worship God. And, oh, by the way, let's, you know, vomit forth all our sins here to the Lord. At least we do it silently. Well, why do we do that? Well, if you don't have confession, you don't really have word. If you see God, the holy God and don't have any response in seeing your own brokenness, then it's not gospel worship, because the gospel requires that we see the bad news in order to see the good news. So adoration, confession, assurance we put in there each week. When you hear the bad news, then you're, you're really hungry. Would someone please tell me the good news, the beautiful news of what Jesus has done for us, and coming to wipe away all our sins, past, 
present and future, and to be for us righteousness before God. That's good news for us. So we see adoration, confession, assurance. Uh, A couple other things, thanksgiving and petition. Thanksgiving and petition. That's our prayer time usually in the middle of the worship service. We're giving God thanks for all the things he's done for us. We're crying out to him for what he might do in the future. Instruction. Instruction. We, We spend time in God's word learning about who he is. Sacraments. We come to the Lord's table. The visible word. And then the last thing, the last sort of building block. Some of these things, again, you can... Paint them whatever color they want to be in this church or that church. There's not there's tremendous freedom before the Lord. But if you don't have these blocks, then there should be a question as to whether we actually have worship. These things need to be in place. The benediction even is something, again, is that, is that some nice stuff, to kind of flowery stuff to send us on our way? you got to end the service some way? No, the, the benediction is actually, they used to call it sort of a charge. We think of it as a blessing, and it is. But it's a sending forth, saying that we're going out from this place to extend the fruits of our worship. I like what Brian Chappell says, and then I'll conclude. He says, whether one intends it or not, this is on your bulletin sheet, our worship patterns always communicate something. Even if one simply goes along with what's either historically accepted or currently preferred, An understanding of the gospel inevitably unfolds. Worship cannot simply be a matter of arbitrary choice, church tradition, personal preference, or cultural appeal. There are foundational truths in the gospel of Christ's redeeming work that do not change if the gospel is to remain the gospel. Do we believe that today? As we come to gather and worship? It's interesting, when we... Worship and worship as God has directed. So we become that construction crew and we're ready to come and participate in this taste of heaven that we're getting each week. And when we use the building blocks that God has called us to use, these walls and ceiling and floor and build the worship around those basic structures, then there's another interesting thing that happens that I'll conclude with. And that is the scriptures tell us that the gospel goes out. The Old Testament worship was all, they were always meant to be a beacon to the nations where people could come in and experience God. We too are meant to be a beacon to the nations. Do you remember what the third thing I said that Canada National Tower does? Remember I said it gives us beautiful beautiful views of the Canadian countryside, just as when we are lifted up into this tower of Cross Creek Church worship, we're able to see, I hope, beautiful things of God. It's also a feeding place, I said, a pretty nice one that rotates around a thousand feet up in the air, but a place to go get something to eat as well. We're fed in worship. What was the last thing that they used that building for? Communication. Information sent out. Very top of that little peak needle at the top. All sorts of equipment to send information out. So too, we come and build this worship as God desires. It communicates. It sends out to the world the message of who God is and of how we can come and know him through our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do 
praise You as we gather in this place today. Oh Lord, come and hear with um, all of us, myself included, a variety of things on our hearts and minds, various motivations and purposes for being here. Oh Lord, we at least at some level, somewhere in us, have in our mind that we come here for something called worship. And Lord, we confess that that, that category in our life, that box in our life is, is uh, pretty empty. We don't necessarily know what that means or what we should be seeking. So Father, I just praise You that in Your Word You give people You cared about worship enough to spend 11 chapters of the book of Exodus giving your people direction, and then multiple chapters we saw in the book of Hebrews giving us direction on how those things play over to us after Christ. Oh, Father, would you through that, and through my attempts to communicate some of that today, elevate our vision of what it means to gather as your people in your house, not some physical structure, but the house of your worship, of the experience of worshiping you. Oh, Lord, we know we can only do that through the work of Jesus Christ. And so we praise you for him. And we come now, even as we sing, desiring to worship you as our God. Amen.